Hello and welcome once again to another podcast episode of Two Men Talking. Those two men being Stanley and Fred, their discussions may make you laugh, may touch your heart, sometimes may even drive you a little crazy. One thing's for sure, these two continue to talk. Controversial conversations that never end. Hello there, I'm Jordan Rich, and today, Stanley and Fred are contemplating the American dream. Is it alive? Is it well? Is it still attainable? A great topic for a podcast, and I know you'll enjoy listening to these two. Starting off with Stanley, your thoughts on the American dream. So we could substitute for the American dream, how about magnificent obsession? Because that sort of underlines what we're talking about, the American dream. American dream really is historical. It goes back to the Declaration of Independence. All men are created equal with the right to pursue happiness, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I think that started us on what was really the American dream. We think of it in terms of prosperity, success, and upward mobility. Is the American dream what it was? When the concept was formed, um, I think maybe it's a little harder. So I am a um, benefit of the American dream. So I was uh, 10 years old. My father died. We lived in a one-bedroom apartment. My mother and sister slept in one bed. I slept in the other bed. My grandmother slept in the living room. My mother taught me hard work is the key to success in America. So if it snowed outside, she would say, I'd say, Ma, it's snowing. Go borrow a shovel from the super. You can make money shoveling snow for people in the houses here. Then it was summertime. She'd say, um, go to the men's clothing stores in Brooklyn, and they need someone to work in, in, in the fitting room. You know, used to go in and the tailor would say shortened sleeves. You would write down shortened sleeves. That's how I was brought up. And that's the key that if you work hard, you're going to achieve success in America. So that's where that's my feeling. Um, I don't know, Fred, what do you think? The American dream exists. It's harder to achieve it today than when we were younger. Uh, America is an exceptional country. Somewhere along the way, we've fallen off. I think the American dream is alive for people who come here uh, from other countries, other countries that are not exceptional. However, I think for Americans that are born here that are disadvantaged, I think the dream has been made difficult by our politicians who have anesthetized certain groups because of policies that aren't reflected in common sense. Go to Los Angeles, go to San Francisco, fabulous cities, people are living in tents. In our own city in New York City, take a look at the homeless problems, take a look at the civility in the streets. We were just talking about what happened to a friend crossing Fifth Avenue by Saks when he was hit by a bicycle. And I think the philosophy of our elites is not a love, but a rejection of common sense. I have some issues with idealism. So I think you can be ideal. 
idealism increases in direct proportion to one's distance from a problem. And I believe that our elites, that summer in Martha's Vineyard, go to Nantucket, I go to Nantucket, that go to the Hamptons, they're removed from the problems of the average citizen. And so the American dream is achievable by people who come to this country and work hard, like you said, Stanley. However, our most blighted classes have not been represented by uh, our political elite, and therefore the American dream for them is further away. Well, what I want to emphasize is this American dream is so ingrained in our society, in our life, it's very hard to dismiss it. The Statue of Liberty, give me your tired, your poor. Benjamin Franklin prided himself on being poor as a boy and became very wealthy. Martin Luther King, famous for saying, I have a dream. And when we went to school, there was a guy, Horatio, Horatio Alger, who wrote books, many books, about hard work. This is, we would say, this is a Horatio Alger story, hard work. Get a job, and that will bring you up. Not only that, there's a book, Mice and Men. You remember that book, famous movie? And Lenny would speak to his friend George and say, we're going to have a little piece of land. We're going to have a, a plot. That's, there's all kinds of, the great Gatsby. His great American dream was to have a woman of a upper social class. Uh, so this is part of us. Herbert Hoover ran for president and said, a chicken in every pot, car in every garage. That's going to be America. I think what the problem is with the American dream is the destruction of middle class. And it's very hard to achieve the American dream if the middle class is going to be destroyed or disappear. Yeah. So, so right now, the middle class is burdened with unnecessary taxes to compensate for a paradigm shift uh, that occurred decades ago in people's standards of living. In New York City, we pay a significant amount of taxes and we get none of the benefits for our taxes. Washington, D.C. has a problem now, real estate community, because people are working remotely or they're working hybrid. The taxes of Washington, D.C. would collect have diminished. We've got the same problem in New York City. So um, I think our politicians have failed us. They're used a false narrative. We've been lied to. But the lies started decades ago, and now we have to pay the piper. You know, there's a, there's a saying, commit a sin twice, and it will not seem like a crime. Um, Who said that, friend? I don't know. It's just a random, random quote that I have. So um, the American dream exists, but my question to you is, why is it easier to achieve by people who have come to this country from other countries than Americans who were born here. You know, the definition of the word American as a noun, the definition is a native or citizen of the U.S. That's American as a noun. Dream is a cherished aspiration, ambition, or ideal. That's a definition of the dream. The largest owners of BMWs and Mercedes-Benz 
are Asians. So uh, the dream exists, but it's easier for other people who come here who don't have the foundational qualities of living here to get the American dream. And I, I'd like to know uh, from you why that is the case. What, what's your opinion about that? Because you're quoting a lot of information, but some of your information comes from the past. I'm going to tell you, the American dream is not only about materialistic things. Statistics show that people today would rather have a job they enjoy and are willing to give up some financial compensation for that. So I don't think that the foreigners who come to America, they may be more motivated, that we tend to get a little lazy, but I think that that, that dream is there for whether you were born here or you're not born here. May I introduce a question to both of you? And we'll start with you, Stanley, because Fred's bringing up the political trends over the last, say, generation or so. The disincentivizing of people, giving them so much handout, if you will, that they're not inclined to want to work for it. Why would you when you're offered all this support? Is there any substance to that argument? It's a good argument. It's a good argument. However, if you're brought up in the right home and you're taught the values of hard work, I, I think there's exceptions to that rule. You get everything for free, you're on the way. Those people who are accepting food stamps and handouts from the government may not really have the incentive to want to achieve. They may be just happy living on the handout. But there are people who come from lower socioeconomic groups who get handouts, who are industrious, hardworking, and want to achieve. Remember, the American dream is not only materialistic things. Uh, we have to understand that. It's a way of life. Uh, it's a quality of family life being part of a community. There, there's people who take, there were always people who took uh, and didn't achieve. Talk to me about Andrew Carnegie. Talk to me about John D. Rockefeller. These were poor boys. Not as poor as I was in Brooklyn, but these were poor guys who worked hard. Andrew Carnegie worked very hard and achieved enormous amount of style. And paid back to the community. You go around the country, you see all these libraries, the Carnegie libraries that he gave money to. So Fred has a good point. I'm, I'm, I'm not degrading the point. But there's more to that. There's more to it than meets the eye. Fred, I'll put the same question to you. The idea that uh, people don't have an incentive to work and I'll work hard because they're being handed opportunities that we never, ever saw before. I mean, this is the greatest social safety net in the history of the world. Is there a, an imbalance there that you think needs to be adjusted to urge people to get back to the old values to work hard? So the old values are old values, and you've got to live in the present. Again, we've been told certain things, tried certain methods, certain processes to um, relieve poverty in this country from blighted communities that have been blighted for generations. And um, 
It hasn't worked. These are American citizens that were born and raised here. And we need to try something else. Irving Crystal once said, and Irving Crystal was born in a working class neighborhood in Brooklyn, just like you and me, Stanley. He said there's an elemental Jewish commandment, and it's don't be a schmuck. Don't fall for fantastical notions that have nothing to do with the way people really are. And I'm quoting Irving Crystal. And I said, yeah. No, I have a question, Fred. Let's say you removed all the benefits that the homeless people are getting in this country today. Record number of homeless. Remove all the benefits. Close all the food lines at the churches. Take away food stamps. Would those people go out and look for jobs? The answer is no. That's the nature of that person that for whatever, maybe it's a mental disability, maybe um, uh, it's a background that he never had the incentive to work. But I believe that removing all these benefits is not going to be an incentive to get those people to work. Because those people who are working, who are homeless, there are some of those homeless people are actually working. They just can't find, they can't find homes to live in. Aren't we reviewing the, um, the results of affirmative action now? We're not reviewing the results. We're reviewing, uh, reviewing the institution of affirmative action in colleges. That's what the case who's, is. Re- who's doing that? Supreme Court. Supreme Court. There's a case. You'll have a decision shortly on whether or not affirmative action should be done by the colleges with regard to admission. Yeah. So Shelby Steele, born on the south side of Chicago, he's a writer. He's a fellow at the Hoover Institution. He wrote an essay that I read, which is really interesting. He said, isn't it interesting that the uh, NFL, the majority of the uh, athletes in the NFL are black and the NBA the majority of the basketball players in the NBA are black also. And most of our greatest jazz musicians are black also. And in in this essay, he said, when a black kid goes to a playground in the south side of Chicago to play basketball, if he can't dribble with both hands, he has to learn how to do that. There's no affirmative action for him. There's no affirmative action for jazz musicians. I don't know that it's helped. And you had mentioned to me about the admissions into Stuyvesant High School, which is one of three or four special high schools where you have to take a test to be admitted. I don't remember the statistics. Do you? Let's see. The majority who are admitted are white. So there are very, very few people of color admitted. Uh, I thought, Stanley, I thought you said Asian. Asian, a few hundred. Uh, after white, there are a few. Maybe there were four hundred Asian. And how many Latino and Hispanic? Not a lot. And how many um, black black no, students? Very little. Were they maybe. the smallest? Were they the smallest group? Absolutely. But you see, now you're talking about another subject. I'm not talking that, about the American dream. Why isn't the American dream available and open? 
to Americans that are born in this country, that are born in blighted communities. You, you're an example of the American dream. I'm also an example of the American dream. Irving Kristol, who I quoted before, he's the American dream. Nobody did anything for us. Back then, we had to earn our way. We had to do well in school. We had to work hard. Today, children who compete in sports are given, uh, whether they come in first, second, or third, they're kind of given the same award. So I think somewhere along the way, the dream has been altered, and I think it's been altered by policies our elites have put together. You know, Rome was the longest lasting republic in the history of the world. And anyone who's concerned about the present problems would profit by knowing how the Romans went about solving theirs. We talk about taxes. You and I live in New York City. The quality of life today isn't what it was decades ago. You're telling me if you work hard and you abide by the norms of society, that that you're not going to make the American dream, that you you won't get there. No, I'm saying you can. Look, what other country can you go to where you get an education, you work hard, you're a law-abiding citizen, where you can go to a bank and borrow money to own a home and pay a mortgage? You can't do that in a lot of countries, but you could still do that in America. So I say the dream's alive, but what I'm saying is the dream has been affected by the policies of our leaders, and they lack common sense. Our leaders do not live, a lot of our leaders do not live in the communities where these people would have aspired to get out of the communities for the dream. Yeah, I said earlier in this uh, podcast, idealism increases in direct proportion to one's distance from the problem. I lived in Greenwich, Connecticut. Uh, I moved there in 96, came back to New York City in 2020. Great to go to a dinner party and listen to everyone's opinions about life. It's easy if you live in Greenwich, Connecticut. It's not so easy if you live on 125th Street and Lenox Avenue in New York City. But that always was the case. That was a case with the Irish. That was a case with the Italians. There are always people who are left back. Stanley, we didn't have 10 cities in Los Angeles 10 years ago. San Francisco wasn't a wasteland of all sorts of stuff in the streets. The homeless problem has been exacerbated by the fact that we no longer have borders. We talk about the American dream. We talk about America. A country is defined by their borders. Fred, you mentioned the Roman Empire. We we all kind of know what happened there, ultimately. But are you hopeful for the future? Do you still see the American dream as a strong enough institutional thought process and idea and emotion that it can overcome all the challenges or what? Yes, I'm positive. Although some of my comments don't reflect my positivity, I'm very positive. It would be terrific if our leaders and the people who vote for our leaders looked at a way to bring our citizens that are born here, bring the American dream to them. And I say the policies that have been promoted in places like Los Angeles and San Francisco and Philadelphia and New York City and Chicago. Look, Citadel 
moved it is moving from Chicago. It was founded in, in Chicago and it's going to have dual headquarters, New York City and Florida. And I'm told two of the senior most executives were mugged in front of their building. There were cameras. The people who did it were arrested and um, on the streets again soon thereafter. There's been a big migration of taxpayers, people, people who pay a significant amount of taxes from the north to the south. Those taxes support institutions and ways of life which promote the American dream. And I'm not so sure that our municipalities are going to find ways to fund, fund those institutions with the absence of those high taxpayers. There was always room for one more. <laughs> and there'll be one more person wherever we go who will epitomize the American dream. A poor kid, I'm from lower socioeconomic background, works hard, and one day that kid will be sitting next to you, Fred, in a suit and tie, and he'll say, my God, that's the American dream. So I'm very optimistic. You've been listening to Two Men Talking, controversial conversations that never end. The podcast geared to men, women, and everyone in between from 20 to 100. Anyone who loves living life to the fullest. You can subscribe and download Two Men Talking wherever you get your podcasts. And Stanley and Fred would love it if you left a multi-star rating and review. We thank you and hope you too can find time to walk with a good friend.